This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Maybe it's just cowpole. Yeah, I hope it. I hope it's cowpole. It's I not hope cowpole. It's, it's probably not. <laughs> episode of the game time podcast everyone has disappeared so it's me and tim to hold down the fort for the premier league review of the weekend tim how you doing did you manage to catch many of the games this weekend uh, i saw a fair amount i've watched uh, a couple of them and a couple first halves before i had to go and do stuff but yeah it's been an exciting week it has indeed so some of the stuff we're going to cover today city's destruction of southampton arsenal doing pretty well to match it with liverpool and Newcastle riding their luck massively, but still coming out with a victory. So we're going to kick it off with the City-Southampton game. Dominant as ever. Three yeah, goals. Yeah, they, they just in the... scraped through, didn't they? <laughs> it just, just scraped past a, a very good Southampton team. Uh, three goals in 18 minutes. Uh, they're, just, they're just too good. I want to focus away, and not for any other reason, I want to focus away from the fact that Manchester City are that good because they are. But Southampton actually had a fair amount of shots. I think they had 14 shots in that game. So they're creating chances, but they're so wasteful with them. I oh, they're, they're, They are struggling, aren't they? Um, admittedly, they were never going to beat City. Like, we all know that. But mm. um, they've just really struggled with scoring like, completely. Um, if you think back to sort of Southampton teams for a few years ago, they've been like very attacking and they've been, they just seem to be lacking the ability to score goals. Um, they need in January is to sign Glenn Murray because as we talked about last week, uh, Glenn Murray scores, he's what the top scoring Englishman this season. He just scores goals that he has no real right to score. He just, that's what he does. He just sits in the box and, puts Brian up the table. Um, they need a they need a Glenn Murray so they can go back to, you know, even if they're playing really badly, they could score goals. Um, they've just really struggled and admittedly, yeah, playing City isn't going to help you uh, how, how you look. So I think the next couple of months, they need a big turnaround uh, and just try and, just try and score goals no matter how scrappy or rubbish they look, just score some goals. Well, they did get not a scrappy one. They got one from the spot, which I'm pretty sure a lot of fantasy football fans out there would have been absolutely livid with the fact that Benjamin Mendy and Edison didn't keep a clean sheet in that one. One thing that has been making the rounds on social media and in the press this week that I wanted to talk about, and that's Manchester City committing fouls when they lose the ball. Now, there was a few articles online and a few journalists having a look and basically saying that Manchester City seemed to get away with committing really bad fouls in really dangerous areas when they've lost the ball high up the pitch. And, and I wanted to see what you thought about it because it seems like a lot of these people, and it's, it's going both ways, but 
there's journalists who say there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. And there's other people going, well, it's kind of against the spirit of the game to just hack the crap out of someone when you've lost the ball. And I wondered what you thought about it all. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I haven't actually noticed it until some of these articles have popped up and I had a look. Because um, I just haven't seen it being like that apparent. Maybe that's me not having watched enough football recently. But, um, I mean, City, because they're so dominant with possession that whenever they lose it, they work. That's how they play. They work so hard to get the ball back that I think that naturally will incur more fouls because you've got players like Fernandinho who, as soon as City lose the ball, sprint to go and get it back and occasionally, you know, they won't get the tackle right 100% of the time. Um, So it is likely that, you know, they might commit more fouls than potentially other teams that maybe lie to play on the counter-attack and sit back a bit. As for them being, yeah, as for them being sort of harsh and not in the spirit of the game, I genuinely haven't noticed. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's just something that someone's picked up on and ran with because it's Manchester City and because they're looking so good, they need something to tend mm. apart with. It was Sterling earlier and now it's the fact that they're, you know, occasionally fouling people. Um, I don't know if there's a huge amount to it or not, really. Yeah, I, I had a look at, at the stats as well. And City averaged nine fouls a game this season. And that's the second least in the league with Chelsea at the bottom of that. And as you said, looking at that, it's two teams who really like to keep the ball. So they're probably going to average less fouls. Granted, a lot of the things in the press are saying that City just foul people because they press so high up the pitch that as soon as they lose the ball in an area... They could already be counter-attacked three on one. But I, I think it's just people trying to shit on Manchester City. And that's coming from a United fan. I, I, yeah, I don't know about it. Um, if it gets anywhere, I'll keep a lookout for it over the next few weeks if it does get any worse. Um, but like teams that have a lot of possession often get like fouled a lot as well. Like Chelsea, like Hazard's consistently the most fouled player in the Premier League because teams get so fed up with him just running at them. The only way to stop him is to foul him. City probably suffer from that as well, being you know, they get fouled a lot more than other teams. So maybe they're just like, you know, if, if a team plays rough with them, they do the opposite, they do the same back and, you know, have a go back and get it, make the game a bit rougher. So I'm yeah. not sure. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. What is even more interesting, and this is going to put you on the spot a little bit, Sergio Aguero scored his 150th Manchester City goal against Southampton. He's the second fastest player in Premier League history to reach 150 goals. Who did it quicker? And I was going to say, and a bonus point, if you can tell me how many games they did it in. I'm going to go with Alan Shearer. You are correct with Alan Shearer. For the bonus point, how many games did he do Uh, it in? Oh, 215. Oh, you are so close. 212 games Alan Shearer did it in. Uh, Aguero did it in 217. That's an impressive amount for anything. Is it more impressive the fact that he barely ever completes A, 90 minutes now under Pep Guardiola and B, he's been injured for most of like a season. Like Most of the time he plays half a season. He's got 150 goals in 217 games. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, so the, the first factor is that he's playing in this Man City side like now. Mm in that they create so many chances and they score so many goals. Like, 
if City saw if City wins six one, you know that Aguero scored because he's that like good of a player that you just know he's gonna be on the score sheet. Yeah. Um, it's a fair point that now he's playing sort of less of like that main striker role because they've got Jesus who is obviously very young and he's coming through a bit and at some point will take over for being the main striker at Man City. Um, and yeah, he has had huge periods out injured. Um, but I think that is made up for by the fact he's playing in this team that creates so many chances. Um, if you look at some of the, you know, when Shearer was playing, he often didn't have the fantastic team behind him. Um, yeah, he could just score from anywhere and that's why he's done so well. So um, it is a bit of evidence, but like Aguero's achievement can't be understated. Like he is without a doubt one of the, well, he will be considered one of the greatest Premier League strikers uh, ever when he either leaves or retires. Um, he's just, he's, he's such a great finisher and he's so quick um, that, you know, anywhere in the penalty box you reckon he would score from and he can just get in behind defenders so easily. Like he's genuinely quality. He's been one of the best strikers in the world for a really long time now. Like there isn't a period in the last maybe six or seven years that you wouldn't have really put him in the top five strikers in the world. So hmm. it's just credit to him. He's just really, really good. He is really, really good. And yet somehow only ever got in one Premier League team of the season. And that was last year, which is crazy to think that they've managed to leave him out for the rest of the years that he's been in the Premier League. Uh, before we move on from this, one thing that I found really interesting, bearing in mind we've talked about this player maybe having a bit of a rusty start to the season, obviously left out of the World Cup. I'm talking about Leroy Sane, by the way, I probably should have mentioned that. Left out of the World Cup uh, for Germany. They didn't do too well. Didn't really start for Pep Guardiola's side. And when he did come in, looked rusty. But he's now assisted 18 Premier League goals since the start of last season, which is more than any other player in the competition. Ooh, that's good, isn't he? I mean, he's young, he's quick, he's got a great left foot. There's not a huge amount more you can ask from a player like that. Um, there were questions over his attitude when he got left out of the uh, World Cup squad. Namely, Cruz went out in the press and said that he didn't have the sort of attitude that he wanted, you know, they wanted Germany to win and everything. But I just think it depends. Like, if he's playing and playing well, I think he's as good as anyone um, on the wing in the Premier League. And again, he's in the Manchester City side. They're always going to create chances. You're always going to get opportunities. But he's a great asset to that team. And again, I think most teams in the Premier League would take him at this point, um, even if he's not been on a run of sort of games recently. Yeah, he came out in the press as well saying that he's definitely not going to move to Manchester United. Didn't even know he was linked to Manchester United. but No, apparently everyone is nowadays. That is true. And there we go. Well, a man who probably isn't linked with Manchester United, James Milner. And he scored the opening goal in the Liverpool-Arsenal game. But Arsenal, you know what? Dug deep. Fair play to them. I think under Wenger, maybe that game doesn't end 1-1. Lacazette scoring the equaliser. But Arsenal under Emery have proved... You know what, that run of, what, 10 games beating all the terrible teams in the league shows that they're still a very good team when it comes up against the big boys. Yeah, I mean, they are saved time and time again by the fact that they've got now two in-form strikers um, in Lacazette and Aubameyang who are both quick and they can both score. And even if they're not, you know, on form, they're enough to trouble any defence and the fact that Emery's managed to get them both into a side um, 
when Lacazette signed, they thought, oh, he's our main striker. He didn't do very well. They sent a Bamiang. Then they've got two strikers who neither of them were firing. I don't know who do you put at number nine. But Emery somehow managed to put them both in a side. And it's working really well because they're both scoring goals. Um, again, we mentioned last week that Arsenal have big issues in defence still. Um, which is potentially why they're not winning, like they're not winning these matches against Liverpool and these big teams. Mm. Um, but they definitely look like a, you know, top four contending side now, as opposed to last season when they looked just off the pace. Um, they look very, very strong, and then it only helps when you've got uh, Ertzel playing well and all the players behind them as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the likes of Özil. Getting them to play together is very difficult because he he seems to have found the right move of. Aubameyang starting normally off the left-hand side, Lacazette down the middle, and then Ozil drifting wherever he wants. But if you look at the way they played against Liverpool, that's a very, very dogged performance from Arsenal. Because albeit they rode their luck with Liverpool's opening goal being disallowed, probably wrongly for offside, I don't think they ever looked out of place in that game. And it's the first time that I can remember in a while Arsenal playing one of the major teams in the league and just and looking very at home. And I think for me, and this isn't my Serie A bias coming out, that was very much down to how well Lucas Torreira played, sort of screening that back four for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, again, we've been saying it for sort of five, six years now, is that Arsenal have needed a defensive midfielder and a centre-back. And Torreira looks like he could be that player um, to just to give the, the back four some cover. Um, we saw it with Coquelin a few years ago, but it just didn't seem to work out. So if Torreira can keep sort of this form and hopefully keep improving because he's still young, like he wasn't terribly expensive for Arsenal, he could be a really, really great signing and something to build on from there. Uh, because you really don't want players like Shaka having to do the defensive work in your team. So if he can keep maintaining this, they can really build on from there. And defensive middles are just so important for winning possession back and then starting a counter-attack. Like, look at Kante and Fernandinho and how well they've done. Mm. They are crucial to uh, Chelsea and Man City side. So if Torreira can become a player like that, Arsenal could be, you know, set for success. Very steely player, Lucas Torreira. And I think he's, and uh, along with others under Emery, have added a real steal to that Arsenal team because they've now won more points from losing positions than any other team in the league. Eight points, which... I think uh, previous iterations of that Arsenal side don't do that as well. So credit to Emery. Um, If we jump over to the Liverpool side of things, yes, they're probably very frustrated with the fact that Mane's goal was perfectly fine and disallowed. One thing that I wanted to pick up on, a lot has been made of Petr Cech, Leno, sort of who's better because Cech made those mistakes with passing. Leno was at fault for one of the goals in this game as well, punching the ball straight out to Milner. But Alisson doesn't get as much of that, and mainly because he doesn't have anyone as a direct competition. Mignolet just isn't as good as him. But I think he was at fault for the Arsenal goal. He came off his line and then didn't really do anything, and Lacazette just fired it round him. Do you think that Liverpool are likely to concede those sort of goals just because of the player Alisson is? We, I mean, we've seen it before with uh, various instances that Alisson hasn't quite made the correct decision. Um, there's a time where he tried to, like, Cruyff turn someone who's got the ball taken off him and scored. 
Um, whether that's a direct result of not having a sort of, you know, competitive second goalkeeper um, or whether it's just his sort of like flamboyant style that, you know, can lead to goals being scored against them. But it's something Liverpool really don't need. Um, they've got now got what I say is like a really solid, good defence for the Premier League. They mm. cannot have their world record goalkeeper for three days um, like making mistakes like that because they just need to be as solid as possible. If they're going to challenge for a title, which they've been so close to for the past however many years, they just need no mistakes. Hmm. Um, and Alisson potentially, you know, can make mistakes and lead to really crucial goals being scored. Like, how big would the two extra points of, uh, against Arsenal been for Liverpool in their title challenge? Would have put them level on points with Manchester City at the top of the table. Yeah, if you're going to beat if you're going to uh, beat Man City to the title, you need to pick every single point up you can. And probably goal difference is going to become important as well if you actually are challenging for the title. So mistakes like that, they really can't afford. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, he still hasn't been in Liverpool for that long. Uh, the Premier League's obviously maybe a bigger challenge than uh, Serie A. But he might, he might improve and he might, he might get better. We don't know. But... We'll have to wait and see. He's undoubtedly one of the best keepers in the league. By no means am I saying that uh, Liverpool fans and players should be uh, should be shouting at Alisson. He's he's a fantastic goalkeeper, and personally, I think that goalkeepers that have that style of play probably yes, they're going to be more scrutinised when they make a mistake. But honestly, how many times do we see or even say? Alisson fumbling the ball into the net. The mistakes he makes is because he plays the way he plays. They're not bad goalkeeping mistakes. They're probably just bad sweeper-keeper mistakes, which I think Klopp was quoted as saying at the beginning of the season when when I think he did that Cruyff turn and, and got tackled. If he's going to make those sort of mistakes, at least they're mistakes playing the way we want to play and not just hoofing the ball away and, and making mistakes like that. So I think... He will save Liverpool more points than he costs them. He is a very, very good goalkeeper. The last thing that I wanted to talk about in this Liverpool game, and it actually has nothing to do with the Liverpool oh, game. It's all, awful. But have it's you awful. seen it how bad that Mo Salah Jesus statue looks? Woman, like repainted and it looked like a mob. Like how they've done that to like <laughs> the, one of the most famous Egyptians ever. Like, oh my god! I think my favorite. Someone showed me uh, yesterday. You know the guy from Home Alone, uh, Daniel Stern, who plays Marv, like one of the robbers? He looks exactly the same as Marv. I'll, I'll put it up on our Twitter so the listeners can have a look. It's, it's uncanny. What's he done to deserve that? Nope, it's not good enough to get you a good-looking statue. If Ronaldo can score like, 500 goals for Real Madrid and he, get, he got what he got, you're going to have to do something very special to get a good statue. Uh, right, moving away from Arsenal-Liverpool and kind of going to the back end of the table and a massive, massive win for Newcastle. But my God, did they ride their luck. Happily take that. Um, that was oh, it's huge for them. Um, it's put them out of the relegation zone by quite a lot of goals on goal difference, to be fair. Um, so it's now Huddersfield below them. Uh, it's huge. Like It's just... I mean, I don't think anyone really saw that coming. Watford, who have been playing pretty decently this season, to be fair, um, just I don't. They don't think they quite. They just weren't as clinical or as executed as 
you know, they need to be. Like, um, I don't think they had a shot on target all game, did they? Uh, one shot. Yeah, they had one shot on target all game. And they had 13 (laughs) um, shots in the first half. I don't know what's going on, especially after, you know, is it last week where we said De La Feo had a great game? Um, They look really good going forward. And, Mm. you know, they just need to be able to score goals more, which is what we said about Newcastle, because Newcastle weren't creating at all. So um, I imagine there'll be a lot of drunk people in the pub after that week in Newcastle. I mean, Watford did have a very, very good chance with Pereira who hit the bar. And honestly, they created a lot of chances, but as you said, they just weren't clinical. On the flip side, Newcastle didn't really create much, but scored a very cheeky goal. It was just a whipped-in free kick, and Ayoso Pereira has got across his marker and and flicked it into the top corner. But incredibly, and, and this is possibly one of my... I'm very weird, and as much as that goal won them the game... I think the best moment of the game was, I'm not sure if you saw this, Kennedy pretty much sprinting from the halfway line back to deny what would have been a very easy tap-in for Andre Gray, I think it was, by sprinting the length of the field and then two-footing the ball straight out for a corner. I thought it was the same. Um, He's very hit or miss, Kennedy. I remember at the start of the season (laughs) he first signed when he was like, oh, they've got like a superstar, like he's going to be amazing. And then he sort of didn't, have like didn't make a single pass or something in a match like he's very very hit or miss I think he's a very good player he's a very different sort of Brazilian also very difficult when you're in a team that is in relegation troubles to really really show off I think he's a flary sort of player and he's just having to do the workload at the moment but a win is a win for Newcastle out of the relegation zone as you mentioned is this the start of their push towards no. the league title? You can only say yes. <laughs> They're still in serious trouble. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, do you think this will act as the catalyst for them to push on now? Because that's this is insane, right? This is their first win against Watford <laughs> since February 2010. And granted, they haven't always been in the same league as, as each other. But that's... They've lost five straight games uh, against Watford. That's not good. That might be quite tricky. The way Bournemouth have been playing recently, they have the ability to tear them to absolute shreds. You mentioned Bournemouth after a short break, which I've now implemented. We'll be talking Bournemouth. We'll be talking Huddersfield as well, because they did something big on Monday night. And then as well, we'll have our talking points that are always sure to be interesting at the end. If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Right, welcome back. And as I said, we're going to be talking Bournemouth, Huddersfield and then some other stuff as well. Let's start off with the Bournemouth game, mainly because I watched it alongside Tom, who's not here today, for reasons I can only assume is because he didn't want to talk about the Bournemouth game and not, like he said, he was working. Um, I watched it with him. You know what? (laughs) You know what? That game very easily could have gone the other way. It ended 2-1 Manchester United with a 90th minute Marcus Rashford goal. But Bournemouth was so, so good in the opening first half. And they, they were unbelievable. 
that that first thirty minutes, they just looked so good. Like every player on their team was playing superbly well, and they could have been three 0 up uh, in the first thirty minutes. To be honest, um, I think United got very lucky. Um, admittedly, after that sort of first half an hour is up, you then started playing hmm. a bit better and started bringing players like Martial into the game um, and Alexis Sanchez, who admittedly was probably the best your your best player on the pitch till he got brought off. Um, didn't have a huge impact, but made a lot of runs, drew players out, did a really good job for you playing at uh, centre forward when Lukaku was out. Because um, you, I mean. Mourinho seems to not have a backup striker. Like, he doesn't really want to play Rashford, who's probably most sort of suited to it. Uh, so he puts Sanchez up there, who's, you know, a little bit too short and doesn't really like holding the ball up that much. Um, and then Martial hasn't played as a striker for Man United really at all. So there doesn't seem to be, like, a, a centre-half. So I think they did miss Lukaku quite a bit. But um, Sanchez did well, and you sort of you did play yourself back into the game. Gutted for Bournemouth about that 90th minute. Uh, winner from United because I, you know, I, they deserve to get something from it um, and the, towards the end they did look tired and it's one of those did they go too hard too early sort of things but um, no they definitely deserve something because they played really really well they really put Manchester United on the back foot in the early doors and the the first goal well their opening goal was such good play but honestly, not very good defending for Manchester United. They did not come out from the corner quick enough. And a lovely little reverse ball down the line to Junior Stanislas, who put it on a plate for Callum Wilson, who honestly, and this will be coming up in the pod at some point in the next week when we talk about the England lineup, I think should be in that England squad because there are no better English strikers at the moment in the Premier League than him. Glenn Murray. I was going to say maybe Glenn Murray. I think Callum Wilson is just a... All round, maybe better striker than Glenn Murray. But yes, Glenn Murray is a good shout. Right, again, I'm going to put you on the spot because I've been furiously looking at stats this week. Marcus Rashford has scored two 90th minute winning goals for Manchester United, which means he's now joint top with two other Manchester United players. Name them. Um, I want to say Van Persie, but he wasn't with you for very long. You Um, would be right in saying Van Persie. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, Go on, clean sweep. Oh, he went for the Dutch strikers. It's Paul Scholes. Scholes. <laughs> That's basically the reaction most people have to Paul Scholes. To be honest. Oh, Paul yeah. Scholes. Bournemouth stay above Manchester United, though. As, uh, as Alan mentioned last week, United needed to win by eight goals or more to uh, overtake, <laughs> overtake the Cherries. That did not happen. Lukaku looks like he's going to be out again for the weekend. Uh, the best headlined article, and by best I mean worst, that's just titled Lukaku absent, Pogba and Jose high five. There's everything. Because by somehow high fiving, they've just meant that he's like eternally injured. Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. Great journalism there. <laughs> so uh, Lukaku will most likely be absent from United's Champions League game. Where that he's absent from the Premier League game this weekend, big Manchester derby coming up. We don't know. Right, let me ask you a question then. Uh, who would you put up front with Lukaku missing? You've got a choice of like Sanchez, Rashford, Martial. Matt has played there before. Like, who would you play at that centre forward role? You know what? And this is going to be 
supremely controversial, I'll ima- I'd imagine. But Phil Jones. I honestly, not that controversial. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if I was to change stuff around, I would honestly play Paul Pogba as like a, a false nine centre forward. Oh. I think his he's very similar to Lukaku in his ability to hold up the ball, if not better at holding up the ball because his first touch is better. And he's really good at playing people into the game. So I think that could work quite well. Yeah, with, I mean, having Herrera alongside Matic and Fred and then like Martial and Sanchez on the wing? or Martial, one wing. I, I, I'm not really a fan of Alexis Sanchez, but he had a really good game against Manchester City last season when we beat them at the Etihad 3-2. So if he can play on the wing and be relatively disciplined in his role, because Benjamin Mendy is going to be bombing forward if he plays, then then I think a front three where Sanchez and Martial or Sanchez and Rashford cut inside and work off Pogba's ability to hold the ball up, I think it might work. Yeah, that's very controversial, but... Um... And I don't think it'll ever happen, but potential. <laughs> Otherwise, essentially, what you could say is if Pogba just drops much deeper, you've essentially just got a diamond foreign midfield with Pogba playing the head of that diamond, Matic playing at the bottom of it, and then Sanchez and Martial or Rashford and Martial playing as the front two. But yeah, take take that however however you want to. Right, moving away, because I'm already getting depressed talking about the Manchester derby this weekend. <laughs> And I'm going to talk about an even more depressing thing. If you're a Fulham fan, they lost 1-0 to Huddersfield. And before we mention anything about the game, I'm just going to pile on the bad stats for Fulham. It's the first goal Huddersfield have scored at the John Smith slash Kirkley Stadium this season. Schindler, the defender who scored it, is now Huddersfield's top scorer this season with two goals. And with that loss, Fulham are stone dead rock bottom of the Premier League table. Tim, you want to add uh, anything to that? <laughs> I mean, I can't. It's just all a bit rubbish for them, isn't it? Um, I mean, the bottom five teams look all in peril, but for Fulham, just... Like, I, if I was sat on their board, or if I was their chairman, I would spend every hour of every day just shitting myself. Like, <laughs> it's there's no... Like, he must not sleep having spent that much money on these many players to then be bottom of the Premier League. Like, he's not going to have a job. He's not going to have any money. His wife's going to leave him. Like, he's going to spend all alone crying, just playing with him on FIFA using the, like, the manager boost budget thing. Um, uh, <laughs> it is, it is not, not fun. No. And you know what? In a way, it's it's kind of upsetting to see that they played so well in the championship last season, got promoted through the playoffs, played a really attractive football, and yet they spent all of that money. And I think they've just moved away from the thing that got them promoted. And if there's one thing that we constantly go on and maybe take the piss out of Cardiff for is the fact that Neil Warnock really doesn't want to strengthen his side with anyone bar championship players. But at least he gives those guys that got promoted a go. I feel like Fulham have have completely shifted the style of that team to the point that it's going to take them half a season to actually get used to playing with each other. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that, yeah, you you can bring in one or two players to help strengthen the squad, not completely rewrite the squad altogether. Like, there are hardly any mainstays of that team at all. And, like, even the ones that are still in there, 
like Sessegnon just not look half the player he was in the championship. Um, like they just they're just really struggling. And the thing with Cardiff, they're in pretty much the same position as Fulham are. Like they're three goals better than one goal difference, but they haven't spent near a hundred million pounds on players. So that if they do go down, they can still you know contend the next season. Um, their club's still in a good position and they'll still get the money from being promoted where there is Fulham are just literally just crying to themselves to sleep. On the opposite side of that game, I reckon Huddersfield fans are absolutely cheering themselves to sleep. The first goal, as I mentioned before, that they've scored at home this season, it came from Schindler, who's got two goals now. And how much did they need that win? Because... Prior to that, it'd been dire. Yeah, it'd been dire I mean, before that. They're still in the relegation zone. Um, there were the same number of points as Newcastle with a much worse goal difference. Um, but it's a start and it shows, you know, like they've got that winning feeling back. So hopefully, because, you know, they did all right last season. Like they scrapped out games and, you know, there were performances there. This season, they've just looked so woeful. But Hopefully now they can actually get inspired and start to at least challenge teams because along with Cardiff, they were probably the easiest teams to go to at the start of the season to just go and win matches. Um, So we want them to do well. Yeah. I mean, you can say last season, yeah, they finished 16th and, and just avoided relegation. But with the squad that they had, the budget that Wagner had, I think he did a fantastic job and is still doing a decent job because the players he has aren't... I don't think any of them are really Premier League quality, to be honest, but the spirit and drive that he gives those players is ridiculous. And a really weird anecdote, in the season that they got promoted from the Championship, he signed... I think he signed like eight new players. And so as a team bonding exercise, he took them to like a, a survival trip in the middle of Sweden, like where they just went into a forest and there was like no toilets, no water, no electricity, and they just had to survive. And apparently he said that's like the catalyst of the terrier's spirit, that, that like never say die attitude that they've got. I mean, I prefer a Premier Inn, but I mean, <laughs> uh, that's fair enough. It's like if, the, if, if that actually works, because that's the sort of thing you read in like managerial books and mm. all the cliche, if that works then it can be huge. But, like, imagine doing that with, like, the Man City squad or, like, Man United or someone. It just wouldn't... It doesn't have the same effect. So, credit to him. I think he's in the right position to actually do it. Um, but normally, you don't ever hear that stuff working. So, maybe they can hire some of the Wolves to play. <laughs> Not I like mean... Wolves, Wolves. Speaking of Wolves, thank you for giving me the perfect link into them. They lost 3-2 to Tottenham. And you know what? Tottenham controlled for 60 minutes, controlled that game, saying that what uh, Wolves, I should say, were unfortunate to have a goal disallowed for offside that actually wasn't. But the one thing that I wanted to mention in this, Ruben Neves scored his first ever goal in English football from inside the box. He's got eight goals in English football and one of them came from inside the box with one of the two penalties that Wolves got, which I just think is fantastic. Yeah, it happened to be on my bench for the fucking Fantasy League, though, didn't he? <laughs> uh, no, it's... He, he often goes understated in that team because him and Moutinho, because of the work they do uh, and the creativeness of that midfield because they're both sat in there. Um, mm. So it's nice to see him actually, you know, pick up a goal and get some 
some recognition, even if it's not for my fantasy team. But, um, you know, he, he is really, really crucial. And I think he could be one of the, you know, he could be a fantastic player. Uh, just give him some time. Because he's only, what, 21? Um, he'll make himself, hopefully, this year, sort of mainstay of the Portugal side. Because obviously he didn't get in last year when mm. the Wolves were in the Championship. Um, hopefully he's, you know, proving himself against Premier League competition. He'll get into that Portugal side. And show that he, you know, is genuinely a good player. And it probably won't be long if he's playing like this before he does get a call up to a slightly bigger team. No, he's a very, very good player. Youngest captain in Champions League, Champions League history, I Ooh. believe. Um, Tottenham, like I said, controlled by Harry Kane back amongst the goals. Really unfortunate for Argentinian defender Juan Foyth. Gave away two penalties up in that game. Absolutely sold up the river by Kieran Trippier for both of them, though. But... Unfortunate for him because he's looked quite good. But Harry Kane, as I mentioned, scored. Again, I'm just going to love putting you on the spot this week. Right? He scored against 27 of the 28 teams that he's ever played in the Premier League. Can you tell me which team he's never scored against? Oh, this could be anyone, couldn't it? Um, I mean, it's, it could be. Yeah. In the Premier League. He's literally going to be completely stab in the dark. I'm going to go with Burnley. It is not Burnley. It's Cardiff City, obviously promoted oh, that this went season. Off long, wasn't it? Yeah, well, they played them the season already, and he didn't score against them. So fair enough. So he's got he's got one more chance. Right to round us off from the review, we've got I left your team till last. Chelsea, Crystal Palace, a very respectable three-one score in the end, but Chelsea again looking very very solid. And even Alvaro Moratas among the goals. I mean, he should have had a hat-trick. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he scored two, fair enough. He did look good. Um, Can he do nothing right for you? He scored twice and you're no, complaining. No, I'm very happy that he scored twice. Like, I cheered a lot. I'm very happy for him. But he tried to chip the keeper when the keeper was still about two yards in front of him. Um, <laughs> so that he just put his hand up and it was like, oh. Um, no, he's looked good. And... We were a bit shaky to start with. Obviously, Hazard wasn't starting. He had, uh, I think, a back injury. Um, came on later and literally came on and immediately scored. They uh, assisted um, Morata second goal, I think. Like his impact, and Sarri said it in the in the post match interview. Like Hazard came on and just immediately had an impact. Just so important, he changed the game. But it's good to see that you know we can start playing without. Hazard. Um, yeah, it was shaky at the start, but um, it's good to know the goals are coming from other places, like Pedro picking up another one. Um, so hopefully he can sort of get a few this season. We're going to need Pedro to step up a little bit because um, our goal-scoring tally for players that aren't Hazard is very, very low. Um, <laughs> but really want to see different Morata scoring goals. Now, the first one was a great finish. Um, literally just touched it down and smashed it past Hennessy. So... That's all we need is just solid results against the slightly uh, lower down teams uh, and just keep plugging through and hopefully keep improving, improving. Um, shame about Ross Barkley didn't really have a great game having earned himself a start. Um, no loss cheek this match either, but I'm still hoping that that sort of midfield battle between Jitch rages on until um, they get to see loss cheek starting. But no, it's, we're looking really, really good and still undefeated. So it's the first time in 
like since what 1978 that we've got three undefeated teams in the Premier League. That's that's incredible. I, yeah, I was going to say Sari has been undefeated in his first eleven Premier League games, and that matches a record from Frank Clark in 1994. I think he was the manager of Nottingham Forest at the time. So unbelievably well for any manager to go undefeated, even more so for a debut season in the Premier League. So congrats to uh, to Sari because. You know what, he's playing some really, really good football and, and glad to see that he's proving a lot of people who thought he couldn't do it in the Premier League wrong because he's a, he's a very, very different manager, but clearly getting results. Yeah. Will be a very, very interesting rest of the season. Liverpool play Fulham this weekend. You'd imagine that's a Liverpool win. But the Manchester derby, I'm just saying anything can happen in I those can. games. Except right. Man United winning. Yeah, well, we won last year, so... <laughs> That's what counts. Uh, just one point that I wanted to mention, which I thought was really, really nice from the weekend. Leicester beating Cardiff 1-0. Not so much about the football in that one. Just fantastic to see them play so well and absolutely brilliant from, um, from the rest of the squad. Bearing in mind, as soon as that match finished, they flew over to Thailand to, uh, to go to the funeral. So incredible, incredible team determination and spirit in that one from Leicester. Absolutely. It's just so nice seeing a club that's been, you know, brought together. And it was just summed up by um, when they were having their minute silence at the start of the match. Um, the entire first team staff walked mm. on and stood on the centre circle. It's, it's very moving. And I think it's a true tribute to sort of English football, how they've banded together as a, as a club and, you know, treated it with respect. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. And and not even the yellow card being brandished to Damari Gray ruined it because I thought uh, Claude Puel after the game, absolutely brilliant, just said, we were professional, the referee was professional, and that's it. He booked him, it's part of the rules, let's move on. And I thought that was, I thought that was brilliant yeah. because, no, the law isn't a personal thing. It doesn't go to insult people. The laws are there. They were implemented professionally, and I think it, everyone involved saw the, the fine side with that and moved on, which I thought was really good. Yeah. Right. That brings an end to our Premier League review for this week. So, as always, we finish it with talking points. Tim, you got anything from this week's football that's potentially interesting you wanted to talk about? Uh, I mean, I just wanted the, the Rooney call-up for England. Just, mm. I'm still baffled by it. Um, and I'm very interested in to see you know, how they play with Rooney you know, presumably playing up front as a striker. Um, does it mean Kane's not going to play? Are they going to play two strikers? It just Wayne Rooney is a bit of a phenomenon now in that, like, we don't quite know where he fits into the team, and he can play in several different positions as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see, um, yeah, where he where he fits in. I'm just, I mean, I think we've had all the debate about whether it sort of devalues an England call up or not. Now that Rooney's getting his sort of honour recall up but um, no, I'm just very very looking forward to that match yeah it'll be interesting to be fair because a lot of people have said why not just make it a testimonial match why not make it this why not make it that it is a full international he's been called up whether you like it or not he's one of England's greatest players it will be interesting no doubt next week sometime when we record a pod on the England game whoever's on will have thoughts on that and and we might be able to talk about that a little bit more in depth when we see the way he plays but 
We do know that he's not going to be captain and he's not going to be given the number 10 shirt. So in a way, no special preference. You're not, no. He's not He's not getting anything apart from the fact that he's being called up. But honestly, and I'm just throwing this out there, had he not retired, he probably would be in the team with the way he dragged that um, DC United team into the playoffs. So there's my two cents on it. It's a very good shout. Um, I, I don't know whether it's because he's playing in the MLS now. It devalues it slightly. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know, and it, it, you can argue it is like, you know, it's it's a game because it is a friendly that someone like Jaden Sancho could be playing instead, or mm. someone like Rashford could be getting more minutes for an English. Show. I don't know, and I haven't quite made my mind upon it yet. I'll have to wait and see if he scores. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think also the fact that it's against America. Um, yeah, just it's sort of whether that's a. I think a nod to America as well, so as to like maybe the you know more publicity, more like viewers, more support. I don't know, but we'll, we will just have to wait and see and see what goes on. Wait and see, we will. Uh, one, a couple of things that I found, and I always like going for the uh, the random ones. And there is genuinely there's a journalist that you need to follow. His name is Emmanuel. Rossu, and I've probably pronounced that wrong because he's Romanian, so there's an accent on the S, so apologies to any Romanian listeners if I've pronounced that wrong. But honestly, this man manages to find the greatest things from Romanian football ever. This week, it was a Friday match between uh, two university sides of Krakowia. Both universities of Krakowia, right? One team was just referred to as visitors on the scoreboard because the other team didn't recognize them as a team because they thought they stole their identity so already that's a that's a great start to the match and then with the scores at 1-1 one of the teams sets the other team stands on fire with a flare (laughs) sabotage it's go and have a look at his twitter it's unbelievable there's just smoke bellowing out from just one of the empty stands basically on the other side of the pitch hopefully no one was hurt in that one but i thought that was quite a quite an interesting thing and it's literally what happens in harry potter in like the first film where like harry's on his broomstick and then someone like hermione goes and sets the thing on fire like (laughs) they resorted to watching children's movies to try and win a football match oh romanian football taking their running around with magic wands later (laughs) we'll keep you updated if that happens and uh emmanuel rossu's twitter account no doubt will be absolutely popping with that um and I wanted to end on this, which I thought was quite a nice thing. Uh, Bohemian FC, who play in the Irish League, had planned to put Bob Marley, like an image of Bob Marley on their shirt. And it looked really, really good. But unfortunately, they've had to get another jersey because uh, they couldn't get image rights, which is, uh, which is very topical at the moment. Because in the last few hours, Manchester City, well, in the last few hours as we record, Manchester City have had an article come out uh, about possible dealings with their image rights but didn't feel like we needed to talk about it because I hadn't researched enough into it at the time I also saw this week and I think it was a match in maybe Paraguay or something like that I think it was um, a South American team Um, they a team was I think they think they just scored and so you know how when a team score they play a really nice bit of football you watch a celebration then it pans to the crowd to sort of see their reaction yeah, uh, I think they just scored, and then 
uh, they panned to the crowd and there was just a guy with like a plate and then he tipped it up and sniffed a lot. Um, <laughs> and then what? very quickly, and then very quickly, uh, the camera then panned off back onto the players. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll leave you, you, you know, your imagination to find out what was actually going on there, but um, some <laughs> slightly dodgy camera work and some maybe dodgy activity in the stands as well. Oh, <laughs> good God. <laughs> Oh, that's so oh, bad. Oh, so good. Oh, that person is getting in a lot of trouble. They, they look really young as well. Oh, oh. dear. One only hopes... It's all right. Maybe it's just Cowpole. Yeah, I hope, it, I hope it's Cowpole. It's I not hope Cowpole. It's, it's probably not. Right, with that Cowpole-induced ending, let's call it a day <laughs> for this one. Tim, thank you very much. Thank you. As always, thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed this pod, make sure you follow us on anchor.fm slash game time. Give us a like, share. If you've got any talking points, anything you want to talk about, you can message us via Gmail, gametimepodcast1 at gmail.com. Or Tim, where can you message us on Twitter? Uh, at gametime underscore pod. You can indeed. Until next week, we'll be back with a special England preview and a Premier League review from this weekend's games. But until then, see you later. Bye.